Well, thankful to be with you this morning. Um, if you have your Bibles, we're going to turn to Psalm 13. Psalm 13. On Wednesday night, we looked at hope out of Lamentations and um, uh, made some observations there. I want to uh, continue in in that thread out of out of Psalm 13. Just going to start in verse 1 and, and just read the six verses here. Psalm 13 says, How long wilt thou forget me, O Lord, forever? How long wilt thou hide thy face from me? How long shall I take counsel in my soul, having sorrow in my heart daily? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and hear me, O Lord my God. Lighten mine eyes lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemies say I have prevailed against him. Those that trouble me rejoice when I am moved. But I have trusted in thy mercy. My heart shall rejoice in thy salvation. I will sing unto the Lord because he hath dealt bountifully with me. So as we think about Psalm 13, we think about the book of Lamentations as a whole. Um, they highlight a reality that we all come face to face with at some point, and and that is um, we go through difficult seasons, we go through difficult circumstances. The life that we live and the world that we live in is a world. Um, full of sadness and trials and hardships, and none of us are immune to that. Um, Psalm 13 and psalms like Psalm 13 are categorized as psalms of lament. We've talked about that a good bit on Wednesday night as we've made our way through the psalms. Um, uh, A lament psalm is, is just a psalm where where the psalmist is is coming to God, pouring his heart out, asking the Lord for help in the midst of a difficult situation, whether that be a crisis, whether that be just a heavy season of grief. Um, he's laying that out before the Lord. So I want us to think about that this morning. Not just the fact that the Bible has this language of lament. What I would like to do at a Psalm 13 this morning is to uh, is to lay out the pattern of lament. Because this is something, uh, brothers and sisters, it's, it's not just a blessing to be able to read these kinds of things. And when I say a blessing... Um, I don't mean a blessing because they lift your spirits necessarily with joy and cheer. I mean a blessing because, and you know this, but we live in a world where the the expectation and the false messaging, especially especially where we live, is that you ought to always be happy. And it's an abnormal thing for you not to be anything but happy. And if things aren't going your way, they should be. 
And you should just put yourself in whatever situation you need to put yourself in to make sure that you're experiencing the joy that you deserve. Well, if there's life on another planet out there, maybe a world like that exists, but it's certainly not on planet Earth, is it? And I say that facetiously. We live in a world where you're not going to be happy. And that doesn't mean you're abnormal. That means you are normal. We live in a world where, you know, there's, there's some, uh, media pushes this idea that, that right now in the United States, we're in the middle of what's termed a mental health crisis and the numbers in depression have never been higher. Well, one reason for that is because there's never been this many people on the earth in this country that thought they were supposed to be so happy all the time, if that makes sense. If you thought you were supposed to live your life and never be disappointed, that's a problem. I don't say that to make light of people who are dealing with deep depression. I say that to make light of the idea that this is a crisis. Personally, yes, it is a crisis for the person who's enduring it. As a country, the crisis is our ignorance, not our sadness. Life is supposed to be, it's normal in a fallen world for us to experience these disappointments and these deep seasons of grief and pain and suffering. And and Scripture bears that out. But the question is, what do we do? How do we respond when those kinds of things come? Where do we find hope when those seasons come? Well, Scripture gives us the language of lament this pattern of lament that, that helps us know what to do with these seasons, how to turn to the Lord in these seasons. We've mentioned this before, but it's very helpful when you think about grief and sadness Psalm, I'm sorry, not Psalm, but Proverbs chapter 13. Proverbs chapter 13, verse 12 says, Hope deferred makes the heart sick. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. Hope Really what we're talking about here is expectations. Proverbs tells us that when your expectations are upset, when they're undone, when the the expectations that you have for life are not met, that's going to have an emotional impact on you. There are plenty of natural expectations that we have that are automatic, We don't sit around and write these down. Most of us believe and trust that in the natural order of things, we will outlive our children. 
But that's not always the case. Most of us expect that our lives will be long. When I say long, I mean a normal range somewhere in our 70s or 80s. That's not always the case. Most of us believe, again, naturally speaking, that we will make our way through life without any catastrophic events. And what I mean by that is we don't plan for that. I don't think anyone, when they're starting out life, says, well, what I'm really hoping is I can get a good five years in and then lose my mobility. Then lose a child. Then lose a spouse. Then have a a church split. Then fill in the blank. Nobody does that. These things come upon us, as it were. And when they do, the only thing that we're left with is the ability to respond. So the question is, how? How do we do it? How do we respond? Well, that's where lament comes in. Um, We find a, a pattern in Scripture, and I'm going to use Psalm 13 just because it's short. And because it's uh, because it's short, it makes it easier to uh, to point this pattern out. But it's a pattern that that Scripture is full of, and it gives us a language to help respond to these crises, this grief, and it also is a way that helps strengthen our walk with the Lord rather than drive us from Him. We talked about this on Wednesday night. Um. Out of 1 Peter 5.8, you know, Satan is seeking whoever he can devour. He would love to devour your hope, as we said Wednesday. He would love to just diminish your faith as much as he possibly can. Satan pounces on any opportunity to use a crisis to devour you in any way that he can. How many people do you know who have been faced with difficult seasons of life and they were driven further from the Lord rather than closer to? You probably know quite a bit. That's not always the case, but it is frequently the case. We go through dark seasons, difficult seasons, sad seasons, And part of the reason why folks are driven further away from the Lord is because they just do not know what to do with the reality of the pain that they're experiencing. Well, passages like Job 3, Psalm 13, Psalm 22, Psalm 77, Psalm 88, and plenty more model a language and a pattern for us to be able to go to the Lord and lament And the pattern is fourfold. If you're taking notes, you can write this down. If you're listening and you miss something and you want these notes, just ask me and I can send them to you if you're interested. But the pattern is this. We see out of Psalm 13 and other laments. 
four words is to turn, complain, ask, and trust. The object of all of these is God. We turn to God. We complain to God. We ask God for help and we trust God. So I want to spend this morning looking at these four aspects of lament. Number one is turning to God. Turning to God in prayer. Where do we see that? Well, look in Psalm 13. Again, it starts out, How long will thou forget me, O Lord, forever? How long will thou hide thy face from me? How long shall I take counsel in my soul, having sorrow in my heart daily? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? What's David's struggle here? What's David enduring here? Well, there seems to be an extended period of time where David feels like the Lord has forgotten him. Where David's perception is that the Lord has just completely hidden his face from him. Where David's perception and, you know, and, and the immediate reality, his enemy had been exalted over him and God was doing absolutely nothing about it. Well, whenever we think about what it means to turn to God, you'll notice in Psalm 13, you know, if this was just somebody speaking these things, it could come across as being pretty disrespectful, irreverent, those kinds of things. We'll talk about in the second point why it's not. But you'll notice David is saying all these things not about God. He's saying these things to God. These are real struggles that David has in his heart. And he's going directly to the Lord with those struggles. That's very different than saying, whenever I was in a time of crisis, the Lord abandoned me. Where was he? I prayed and He'd never answered. The Lord didn't do for me what He does for others. He was not faithful. That would be a sin. But you'll notice David is taking these struggles that are real directly to God. He cannot control the pain. He cannot control the circumstance. He can't control God's timeline. But he can control where he turns and to whom he turns in the midst of the crisis and the pressure. Jeremiah 2.13, we were here not too long ago in, in, uh, in John where where the Lord says that His people had committed two evils. They have forsaken the living God and they had turned to broken cisterns that could no longer hold water. Well, there's many attractive broken cisterns that we can turn to. 
in times of grief and pain. And we can just park it there. Sadly, some people's lives are characterized by some of these. And we don't say this in a scoffing way. Any of us could find ourselves here. But we do say it in a very clear way that says, you have to choose to turn here and stay here. And you can choose, if you're a believer, to turn to the Lord instead. One of those broken cisterns is just self-pity. It's just self-pity. One of the things you'll, you'll notice about lament as we move forward is that it can look like self-pity a little bit, but it's not. Okay. Self-pity is where we just we sit around rehearsing to ourselves just how unfair life has been. How, how hard life has been for us. How much more difficult it is on us than it is other people. How sad we are. How helpless we are. How disappointed we are. I don't have to do a ton of description about self-pity. You've been there. okay? That's a party that you're familiar with, isn't it? We've all been to a pity party. That's a natural, natural cistern that we're drawn to in difficult times. Well, that doesn't hold any water. What I mean by that is you will find no help there. Secondly, self-sufficiency. A lot of times in crisis, grief, pain, turn to self-sufficiency. And really what I mean by that is <clears throat> we, we turn to this inordinate, inordinate desire to try to control things that are completely outside of our control. We try to start stacking the deck. We've been hurt bad enough that we want to do our best to control things and make sure that that doesn't happen again. That's a broken sister. That never ends well. And then third, and we could keep going, but we won't. We can turn to just the idolatrous desire for relief, comfort, and ease. I mean, the truth is, suffering's hard. It's uncomfortable. It's, it's uh, nagging. And the desire for relief in and of itself is not bad. But whenever relief becomes the ultimate end, it can become idolatrous. We can turn into a Psalm 77 where we want God to do what we want God to do, and unless He does it our way and on our timeline, we can't be satisfied. It's easy to get there. That's a broken cistern. You see, the truth is, any of these broken cisterns will do the same thing, have the same effect that Adam and Eve's sin had on them in the garden Genesis 3, 
verse 8, says that when they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees in the garden. If you make self-pity your cistern, you'll be offended when someone tries to speak hope into your life. I was speaking to a couple one time. They were going through a very difficult season. It was a marriage counseling type scenario. And as I tried to speak some hope into their situation, one of the spouses just became very, very offended. And when I asked what they were offended about, this is the only time this has ever happened to me. The offense was, you're trying to give us hope when there is no hope. You live in self-pity long enough, and you may not say it out loud, but you'll think it a lot. When you hear the voice of the Lord in the garden, as it were, you will run and hide yourself. It will be offensive to you. Self-sufficiency. When people try to encourage you, Stir up your faith. Strengthen your faith. It'll seem like the most irrelevant thing in the world. The most simplistic thing in the world. You will be offended. And when people try to encourage you that there's more to life and there's more to our trials than relief, comfort, and ease, you'll be disgusted. And you will isolate yourself. Not just from people, but from God. Now here's the reality about Scripture. When it comes to our grief and our pain, we're invited to turn to God with all of that. In Psalm 34, verse 15, God tells us that His ear is open to the cry of the righteous. In Matthew 11, verse 28, Jesus tells us to come to Him as we are burdened with, with we are heavy laden and we are, are burdened. Now there, I realize He's talking about the burden of sin, but Brothers and sisters, don't be mistaken into thinking that Jesus isn't talking about taking upon Himself every burden that you have. The burdens of grief, the burdens of pain, the burdens of suffering. The first step in lament is turning to God rather than away from God in the midst of our disappointments, in the midst of our pains, in the midst of our trials, in the midst of our suffering. We see that, particularly in Psalm 13, as David is speaking to God. We see that in the book of Lamentations when Jeremiah takes his, I mean, my goodness, the 
the dimensions that surround what he must have experienced in all of that. What I mean by that is we mentioned it this morning, for those who weren't here, Jeremiah spends 40 years of his life warning Judah, begging Judah to turn, being mocked and scoffed. 40 years saying God's judgment is coming. And then it comes. And when you read the book of Lamentations, you can see that when it comes, even though he knew it was coming, he was not prepared for what he saw, for what he endured. The book opens up with Jeremiah saying, and we talked about this Wednesday a little bit, how? Chapters 1, 2, and 4. How? How did we get here? How does the city sit in such isolation? How is this as difficult as it is? What do we find there? We find that Jeremiah is taking all of his pain, all of his grief, all of his suffering, and he's turning directly to God with it. So, number one, turn to God in prayer. Number two, lay out your complaints. Lay out your complaints. Notice verse 3 of Psalm 13. Consider and hear me, O Lord. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm getting ahead of myself. Notice uh, verses 1 and 2 of Psalm 13. Uh, 13. How long will you forget me, O Lord? Forever, how long will you hide your face from me? How long shall I take counsel in my soul, having sorrow in my heart daily? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Now, it's like I said this earlier this morning, we can read that and in some ways think, man, David needs to tone it down a little bit. Doesn't David know anything about reverence? This is borderline disrespectful. Well, here's where this can be helpful. We talk about this, but so many times Christians endure suffering and grief and they try to do it with a plastic smile. They try to fake it for the glory of God as if God is proud of them for pretending that pain is not painful, that suffering doesn't hurt. You know, the Lord never brings trials your way to make you feel better about how well you can endure them. And God never encourages one of His children by allowing them to watch another child of God lie about not needing help, not being burdened, and not being heavy in grief and pain. And yet that's our natural response, isn't it? We don't like help. We don't like to be vulnerable. We don't like to lay out our struggles. That's not called spiritual maturity. That's called pride. Lament gives us another option. 
David here, and I'm, and again, I'm not saying that as we say all this, that means that during the next prayer meeting that you, you stand up and, and spend 20 minutes laying all that out. What I am saying is, is that as you come before the Lord, as you turn before the Lord, you turn to Him. A 1 Peter 5, 7 kind of casting all your cares upon Him because He cares for you. You bring your real struggles to God, seeking real grace for help. So think about that again out of 1 Peter chapter 5. Casting all your cares upon Him. Why? Because He cares about you. Does God care? Psalm 13, does God care when it seems like He's forgotten about you? Does He care when you're struggling with that? Does God care when you wonder how long it will seem like His face is hidden from you? Is that offensive to Him? Or is that something that He is concerned with when His children struggle with that? Does God care when our enemies seem to be exalted over us? Is that an annoyance to God? Is that an offense to God for us to struggle with that? Well, according to 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7, all of those things fall under the realm of His concern. How do we know that? Because He says, casting all your cares, all your anxieties upon Him. Why? Because He's concerned about those things and He's concerned about you. He cares for you. Different word than the first care. Notice Psalm 55, verse 22. If you have your Bibles, you're already in Psalm 13. Just flip over. Psalm 55, verse 22. Cast thy burden upon the Lord, and He shall sustain thee. Cast your burden on the Lord and He will sustain you. You know, sometimes, this is not always, but sometimes we feel like God is distant in our trials. Sometimes we feel like we're bearing up under our difficulties all by ourselves because that's exactly what we've chosen to do. Now there are plenty of times, like the Psalm 13 uh, scenario, where... Uh, you know, it, we just, we, it seems as if God's face is hidden. We're seeking to draw near to the Lord. Things just don't feel right. But don't mistake that with your disappointment driving you away from God. Or don't mistake that with your pride seeking to pretend like you're a strong enough Christian not to be affected by the effects of a fallen world. Sometimes you are walking through your burdens and trials alone because that's what you've chosen to do. You're part of a church where brothers and sisters would gladly, maybe clumsily, but gladly walk with you. But you refuse to take advantage of that provision that the Lord has given you. You've been adopted into the family of God as one of God's children. You've been invited to cast your cares upon Him and to pour your heart out before Him. 
but you've refused to do that because you're stuck in self-pity, self-sufficiency, fill in the blank. Well, part of lament is getting to the point to where we can come to God humbly, come to God transparently and lay those complaints out. Look in Jeremiah 20. Sometimes this can be surprising. Look how, look how Jeremiah does this in Jeremiah 20. Again, one of the reasons we're uncomfortable with this is because it can seem a little too bold at times. Jeremiah 20. Verse 7, Jeremiah speaking here. O Lord, Thou hast deceived me, and I was deceived. Thou art stronger than I, and hast prevailed. I am in derision daily. Everyone mocketh me. For since I spake, I cried out. I cried violence and spoil, because the word of the Lord was made a reproach unto me and a derision daily. Then I said, I will not make mention of him nor speak any more in His name. But His Word was in my heart as a burning fire shut up in my bones, and I was weary with forbearing, and I could not stay. Now, you've, you've heard verse 9 before, probably anyway, about preachers who were called of God and Maybe they tried to step away for a little while, but the, the word was in their heart, it was burning, and they just couldn't stay quiet. They had to proclaim the word of the Lord. Well, that's a, I guess, a legitimate application here, but you notice in the, this is something that comes in the middle of Jeremiah's very bold lament, complaint. Verse 10, he says, For I heard of the defaming of many, fear on every side. Report, say they, and we will report it. All my familiars watched for my halting, saying, Peradventure he will be enticed, and we shall prevail against him, and we shall take our revenge on him. But the Lord is with me as a mighty, terrible one. Therefore my persecutors shall stumble. They shall not prevail. They shall be greatly ashamed, for they shall not prosper. Their everlasting confusion shall never be forgotten. But, O Lord of hosts, that triest the righteous and seest the reins and the heart, let me see thine vengeance on them, for unto thee have I opened my cause. Sing unto the Lord, praise ye the Lord, for he hath delivered the soul of the poor from the hand of evildoers. I want you to notice the progression from verse 7 to verse 13. Verse 7, O Lord, Thou hast deceived me, and I was deceived. Verse 13, Sing unto the Lord, praise ye the Lord, for He has delivered the soul of the poor from the hand of evildoers. He starts out with complaint. We'll mention this again in a minute, but he doesn't stay there. You'll notice that he chooses to trust God. He chooses as he's laying out. He knows 
that God didn't really deceive him. He knows God's not a liar. Jeremiah's not having some sort of a theological meltdown here. But it sure is what it felt like. God calls him into ministry, calls him to proclaim his word, to prophesy to his people. And he is completely ineffective. In other words, the people just mock him. And he's frustrated. He's deflated. And he comes to God pouring out his complaint. Now, you'll notice if you were to keep reading to the end of the chapter, that lament is not linear. In other words, it's not step one and then step two and then step three and then step four. So get your turning out of the way, get your complaining out of the way, get your asking out of the way, and then get to the trusting part. It's not That's not it. Jeremiah 20, we see in verse 7, he starts out with complaining. You get to verse 11 and you see that Jeremiah moves from complaining to trusting. But then when you go to verse 14, you see he goes back to laying his complaints out before the Lord. Verse 13, sing to the Lord, praise you the Lord for he has delivered the soul of the poor from the hand of evildoers. Verse 14, cursed be the day wherein I was born. Let not the day wherein my mother bear me be blessed. Cursed be the man who brought tidings to my father, saying, A man-child is born unto thee, making him very glad. And he continues in that vein until the end of the chapter. Well, what's the point? The point is that Jeremiah is bringing his real struggle to the Lord because he's seeking real help from a God who answers real prayer. You got to do something with these kinds of inner struggles and turmoils. God says, cast them on me. Bring them to me. Now, a couple of clarifying points to keep in mind. We've said them earlier, but I'll say them again. Number one, we are complaining when we think about complaint, we are complaining to God, not about God. Sometimes the word complaint is, uh, you know, people don't like that word. It's, it's used like in the hymn we were singing this morning about Christ who brings our songs and our complaints to the Father, right? We go through struggles and trials and there are legitimate complaints. Again, this is not a complaint like, can't believe. Just my luck. Just my luck. When it rains, it pours. It's not that kind of complaint. It's the kind of complaint that comes to the Lord and says, Lord, I am struggling here. I am seeking to uh, live in a way, walk in a way that's pleasing to You. And this is a uh, very heavy burden that I'm having a hard time carrying. And maybe it's a very complex um, um, uh, tension in my mind that I'm having a hard time resolving. 
Why would God call Jeremiah into ministry only to let him spend 40 years being mocked? Well, we have the whole Bible, so you know the answer to that. But Jeremiah was having a hard time with that in chapter 20 at least. Why would God allow someone to become pregnant only to take the baby before delivery? Now, you could go ahead and turn to some abstract theology about God's righteousness and God's sovereignty and All those things would be right and all those things would make for good sermons and you could talk about it in abstract ways and none of it would be helpful to the heart that's crushed under the weight of why couldn't I have my baby? You don't need your cognitions rearranged. You need to wrestle with the crushed heart that you have before God. That's where Scripture points you. This isn't a fill-in-the-blank kind of struggle. This is a struggle where we come to God with pain because there are tensions that we don't know how to reconcile. Secondly, we're thinking about pouring out our complaint to the Lord This is only part of the process of biblical lament. It is not the final destination. In other words, we don't spend our entire lives focusing on one complaint before the Lord. We bring that complaint. As we struggle with it, we bring it to the Lord. There's also a place for coming to God and asking for help boldly and choosing to trust. Now, these are all processes. It's not, again, when I say that, I don't want you to think I'm pretty good at step one and two and I'm having a hard time doing step three. I'm using the the term step because I don't really know what else to use, but we're going to be up and down on these things. But the reality is we're struggling with the Lord as we do these or as we seek to exercise these. So we turn toward God. We lay out our complaint before Him. Number three, we ask boldly. We ask boldly. Notice in Psalm 13, this is where I was going earlier in verse 3. Consider and hear me, O Lord my God. Lighten my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemies say I have prevailed against him, and those that trouble me rejoice when I am moved. David's trying to get God's attention here. He's asking God to help, and he's asking God to help in some very specific ways. He's asking God to help in a very bold way. This isn't a demand. It's a request. But there are times where we feel the urgency of our request. We feel the urgency of our needs. At least our perceived needs. What we think would be the resolve. And when that's the case, we can pour that out to the Lord. 
Notice Psalm 22. Psalm 22. Many of you will be familiar with the fact that Psalm 22 is what's called a a messianic psalm. This is where Jesus quotes from the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Um, It's also a lament. Notice, thinking about asking boldly, notice Psalm 22, verse 19. But be not thou far from me, O Lord, O my strength, haste thee to help me. Deliver my soul from the sword. My darling, from the power of the dog, save me from the lion's mouth, for thou hast heard me from the horns of the unicorns. I will declare thy name unto my brethren. In the midst of the congregation, I will praise thee. Verses 19 through 21, particularly, he is asking God boldly for help, specific help. Think about how this relates to James 4, 2 where God says you don't have because you do not ask. You don't have because you don't ask. We're not talking about asking God for sinful things boldly. We're talking about asking God for help in your time of trouble with boldness. Now maybe some of you have already thought about this, but if you haven't, this coming to God boldly is re-emphasized in the New Testament in Hebrews chapter 4 where you're told to come to the throne of grace with boldness, confidence, based on what? Based on the fact that you have a sympathetic high priest who's touched with the feelings of your infirmities, who stands ready to help you, to give you the grace and mercy that you need in your time of need. So lament simply takes God at His word here, Hebrews 4, 14 through 16. And as we turn to God, as we lay out our complaint to God, then we ask God for help boldly. Not because we think we deserve it in and of ourselves, but as New Testament saints, we can be much more bold than what the saints in the Old Testament were. Because we come to God through the righteousness of Jesus Christ and through our advocate and mediator, whoever lives to make intercession for us. This shouldn't make us shy away in prayer. This should make us come with confidence to ask for help in our time of need. So we turn to God. We lay out our complaint before Him. We ask boldly for help. And then number four, We choose to trust. Choose to trust. Now I understand faith is a gift that's given by God to the believer. And we're thinking about lament. Biblical lament can only be practiced by those who have been given life in the Spirit. While faith is a gift, when we're talking about walking through times of grief and suffering and difficulty. Faith is a gift you're going to have to exercise. Trust is something you're going to have to be active in. It's not passive. 
You cannot sit back waiting for trust to somehow accidentally give your heart peace. It's not going to happen. It's not the way it works. Trust is never passive. It's always actively exercised. Even when we think about how trust is exercised in regeneration, it is given by the Spirit. But you actively go to Christ. You made willing in the day of His power. Your faith activates your seeking. So, Psalm 13, you'll notice here, the psalmist chooses to trust. But I have trusted, verse 5, in your mercies. My heart shall rejoice in thy salvation. I will sing unto the Lord because He hath dealt bountifully with me. I want you to notice, if you just take Psalm 13 and if it were just a small piece of literature that you were to read, detached from Scripture, and you could take the Lord's name out of it and all of that, it's a crazy sounding psalm. How long will you forget me, O Lord? I will sing to the Lord because He's dealt bountifully with me. There's four verses in between. How does that make sense? Because David is choosing to trust God. He's not walking by sight. He's walking by faith. Psalm 77 gives us the same pattern here, the same example. Psalm 77. You also notice in these kinds of psalms, particularly what we just read in Psalm 13, the language of, um, but I have trusted in the Lord. I will sing unto the Lord. I shall rejoice in thy salvation. All of those words are an exercise of the will. Psalm 77, verse 10. Uh, Psalm 77, verse 10. I said, this is my infirmity, but I will remember the years of the right hand of the Most High. I will remember the works of the Lord. Surely I will remember thy wonders of old. I will meditate also of all thy work and talk of thy doings. Thy way, O God, is in the sanctuary. Who is so great a God as our God? Now, this is coming on the heels of Verses 7 and 8. Will the Lord cast off forever? Will He be favorable no more? Is His mercy clean gone forever? Does His promise fail forevermore? Hath God forgotten to be gracious? Hath He in anger shut up His tender mercies? Okay, This isn't a walk in the park for the psalmist. He's just laid out his complaint. But then what? Then he chooses what he's going to do next. He chooses to trust in the Lord. I will remember the works of the Lord. You know, faith is rooted in 
Scripture. The, what I mean by that is you can't exercise faith in something God hasn't actually revealed. You can't just by faith hope that everything's going to work out, you know, in the short term how you want it to. It's not the way it works. We talked about this before. Some of those uh, faith-based type movies. Uh, well, uh, uh, I can't remember. Uh, Facing the Giants, or the, the football one, you know, the coach has a losing streak and his car doesn't run and wife can't get pregnant. By the time the movie's over, somebody buys him a brand new truck and puts the keys out in the parking lot for him and his team goes from never winning a game to winning them all and the cherry on top at the end is that his wife's pregnant. Well, can you have faith in any of that? No. It's nice when those things happen. But God has never said, I'm going to provide you a brand new vehicle when yours breaks down. God has never said, I'm going to make you successful in work. God has never said, I'm going to give you fill in the blank outside of salvation to His people. And so faith is based on what God has revealed to us in His Word, but faith is also built upon those stones of remembrance that Brother Davis prayed about this morning where God um, faithfully and mercifully provides for us. He, he, he gives us what we need as we need it. He, he's gracious in our times of struggle. And when the psalmist in Psalm 77 says, I will remember, he's not remembering something abstract. He's remembering what God has actually done for him. Again, this is an act of the will. God was faithful to me then. He'll be faithful to me now. He cared for me then. He will care for me now. Lamentations 3 has this same pattern. Jeremiah starts out, I am the man that's seen affliction. And he, he, he covers the whole poetic gamut of all of the difficulties that he's gone through. And then he gets to, to verse 19 and he says, but I recall this to mind, therefore I trust. What's he doing there? In the midst of all of his afflictions, he's choosing to trust God. Trust what? That his mercies are new every morning that He's faithful, that if it weren't for His mercies that we would be consumed, that it's good to wait on the Lord, that God has given us Himself, and if He's given us Himself, He can't do any better than that. So we choose to trust. This is really the whole driving element of lament. We're turning to God. We're laying out our complaint. We're asking boldly. And we're choosing to trust so that in the midst of our difficulties, in the midst of our pain, in the midst of our suffering, we're seeking to walk through all of that with the Lord. A phrase out of a book I've read recently. Some of you may have heard of it. If you haven't, I would recommend it. It would build on the things that we've talked about this morning. It's called Dark Clouds, Deep Mercies. A phrase the author uses there is 
keep trusting the one who keeps you trusting. Keep trusting the one who keeps you trusting. Satan would love to devour your faith, your trust, your hope. Lament will keep you trusting the one who keeps you trusting. Let's pray. Father, we, uh, we confess, Lord, we are, uh, we're a needy people. Lord, we do not suffer well. And Father, some of that um, is because of us. And so, Lord, I pray that you would teach us how to lament and that you would bless us to be active in it. You have given us ample illustrations of it in Scripture. Most of the Psalms have some element of this. And so, Father, I pray that you would keep us trusting, that we would be active in that, that we would turn to you in our pain, that we would lay out our complaints before you, that we would ask boldly what we need, that we would choose to trust in times of difficulty. We pray this for ourselves. We pray this for our brothers and sisters who are going through deep darkness and trial right now. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.